0: Welcome to Life Giving Water Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and, through the Internet, deliver it to you. My name is Reverend Todd Laddick, and I'm bringing to you part three of a four part sermon series entitled Living Faith, with today's message specifically entitled uh, Do Good, based off of James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. So let us dive into the Word today. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For, whatever the, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere." And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Amen. In the first part of this worship series, we talked about what it means to have a genuine faith. Last week, we discussed what it means to avoid doing harm, which was the first rule in John Wesley's General Rules for the People Called Methodists. This week, we will discuss how doing harm leads us to John Wesley's second general rule, do good. Let's pause now to consider the following. God's wisdom is pure. Peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. Let me say that again. God's wisdom is pure, peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. The end justifies the means. We've all heard that phrase before. The end justifies the means. Does it, though? Is that really the case? Or do we just say that to feel better about our questionable words and actions, and the key word there is questionable? Most, by now, know that I am a huge fan of The Walking Dead, which is in its 11th and final season. And this season has been so phenomenal, I can't even tell you how great it has been. It's like hearkening back to the good old days of The Walking Dead. The season has been phenomenal. Well, I'm not going to talk about season 11, because I run a tight, no-spoiler ship. But, by now, it is definitely safe to talk about season 7. In particular, episode one of season seven. And for those of you who watched, no worries, I'm only going to go surface here. So if you have little ones listening, this isn't going to get too bad, I promise. In the last episode of season six, Rick Grimes and his group of survivors, um, in fact, just in case let me preface this by saying for anyone who may not know what it is the walking dead is a horror action drama series on amc uh that follows a group of survivors during the zombie apocalypse which is basically hell on earth in the form of a a very hungry walking dead people we'll just leave it there and you can use your imagination so back to the last episode of season six Rick Grimes and his group of survivors have been captured by another group of survivors led by a man named Negan. At the very end of that episode, Negan is about to pick one of uh, one of the people uh, to kill in retaliation to something Rick's group did earlier in the season without getting into the mud. That's it. The season ends leaving you hanging, wondering who it will be. So at the beginning of Season 7, Episode 1, we found out who it was. In fact, it ended up being two characters. One of those characters was so beloved and his death so brutal, The Walking Dead actually lost some fans and turned some people off. Now, I'm a horror fan. It was over-the-top and brutal for me, even. But I'm a horror fan, and of course, you know me. I stuck with it, and I'm glad I did. It turned out to be very rewarding to stick with the season. It was one rough episode, but it was not. Wor- it was not an episode that I think should have uh, caused people to to stop watching the show. But it was brutal, and I I wouldn't judge somebody if they didn't. I mean, it, it just got. It was just hard to watch. And we learn a lot more about this character Negan following following this event that happens in episode one. Uh, season seven uh, we, we learn that he's not as evil as once thought but is a complicated man who is both trying to keep himself safe as well as his group we don't learn that in that episode you, you absolutely loathe him throughout season seven throughout season eight it takes a while to figure out who this man is but but the problem is that Negan is kind of an arrogant guy yeah, and he has a chip on his shoulder. You instantly see that, that, that chip in his eye. I mean, it's just like sparkling there. And um, it's a diamond chip. It's big. And he felt the best method for keeping himself safe was by intimidating people. And making them afraid of him because he's kind of an intimidating looking guy. And once that fear was established, people would submit to his leadership as the alpha leader of the pack, so to speak. And they obeyed him undyingly. Even calling themselves Negan and losing their former identities. Negan offered them protection and strength in return for their devotion. Of course... Intimidation doesn't really work if you can't back it up, so Negan backed it up. Big time. You crossed him, you became a zombie on a fence, warding off unwanted visitors and trespassers, and you were lucky if that's how you ended up. For Negan, though, the end justified the means. Sure, he was a bit over the top. Sure, he killed people brutally sometimes, but always with the hope that his group would remain safe and that the survivors who didn't die, uh, you know, he hoped they would submit and join his group. That was the hope. While the couple who died that night on season seven, episode one, experienced Negan's wrath, Negan actually offered the olive branch to the others, so long as they chose to be loyal to him. For, for Negan, the end justified the means. Remember, this is a zombie apocalypse. It's eat or be eaten, so to speak. It's survive or don't, you know? So, so for, for Negan, the end justified the means. But tell that to Maggie, whose loving husband was one of those who died. Tell that to Rosita, whose boyfriend was one of them. Tell that to Carol and Daryl, who are not going to just sit by and let this guy own them. Tell that to Rick, who has fought and fought and fought tirelessly to keep his family and his group alive and to set up something that looks like some semblance of civilization who wants nothing more than for him and his group to be safe. Did the end really justify the means? Because by the end of season 8, I'm pretty sure that Negan and all of those following him might be second-guessing that. At some point in our lives, we all have to learn the lesson that personal gain cannot be the sole motivation for doing good. True good comes from a right spirit. Where in our society can we identify disorder and evil? Can we trace that back to selfish ambition and jealousy? As it says in verse 16, James 3 verses 13 through 18 identifies two sources of wisdom. Wisdom from above or godly spirit inspired wisdom um, and quote wisdom unquote from below or worldly wisdom self-centered wisdom, if you can call it wisdom, hence the quotes. They produce different things. Uh, Wisdom from above produces good. You know, verse 18 talks about peace and justice, whereas wisdom from below does harm. And we see the repeated theme here in verse 13, that a life infused with wisdom from above leads to good works not to bring about our own salvation, but as a response to what God has done. Verse 16 shows the connection between personal and social holiness that Wesley was so focused on. When we act from envy and selfish ambition, it will lead to disorder. Not just for you, but for the social order. Whereas when we act from a peaceable, gentle, and merciful place, we create a more just and righteous world for all to live in. The theme of hypocrisy that we explored last week comes up again in this passage. When our motives and intentions match our actions, both coming from a place of godly wisdom, our good lives, verse 13, will be... The evidence, however, when we have selfish motivations and intentions, James warns us, do not be false to the truth. Even if our external actions appear to be good, the result will be disorder and wickedness of every kind, as it says in verse 16. Again, Wesley's second general rule is do good. And the way we approach other people is meant to be from a place of gentleness, purity, and selflessness. When so much of the world tells us to approach others with the idea of what they can do for me. And we see this so much in our own society, in our own culture today. Think about it. Think about it. The the people who... uh, who are looking for people to serve them rather than to serve, you know? The people who want to not be told to do things when they want to do them because it's not serving them to do that, you know? Like, like, for instance, wearing a mask shouldn't have been a political thing, but it became a political thing because people just didn't want to wear a mask, and it didn't matter if it was going to kill other people because it's their right to not wear one. That's selfishness, is it not? That's selfishness. That's that's the idea of what can people do for me as opposed to what can I do for others. And that attitude leads to much harm. We've seen that unfold in real time. So you can see how these two rules interconnect. Do no harm. Do good. In the general rules... Wesley emphasizes that doing good is not about receiving praise or getting ahead in the world. Rather, it's about the faithfulness. It's about faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus who gave up everything for humankind. I say this every week uh, at church when we're uh, doing offertory, and and I say, you know... We're called to be a giving people not because we, we uh, ha- have to be, you know, but because Jesus, Jesus gave himself up for us, gave all of himself up for us, and out of response of our love for Jesus and our appreciation for what Jesus did for us, how can we not give up ourselves for, for Jesus and, and do everything we can to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus? People are to do good. By running the race which is set before them, denying themselves, for example, their own ambitions and taking up their cross daily, daily submitting to bear the reproach of Christ to be as filth and off scouring of the world and looking that men should say all manner of evil of them falsely for the Lord's sake. I'm going to say that again because that is John Wesley's rule for doing good. Let's hear John Wesley's rule again. People are to do good by running the race which is set before them, denying themselves, and taking up their cross daily, submitting to bear the reproach of Christ to be as filth and off scouring to the world, and looking that men should say all manner of evil of them falsely for the Lord's sake friends that's what John Wesley had to say about doing good it's not about what we do it's about what Christ is doing in and through us and we're willing to take on all of the reproaches of the world all of the hatred and animosity, we're willing to take it and bear it as our cross just as Jesus did so that others may know the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to do good. Good cannot be good unless it is good for all people. I will say that again. Good cannot be good unless it is good for all people. This broken world has nothing, nothing to offer all people. This broken world has nothing, think about it, nothing to offer all people. Well, nothing but false promises, broken hopes, and broken dreams anyway. Jesus, on the other hand, offers good for all people. And Jesus calls us to be his vessels of good for all people. Wisdom given to us by the Holy Spirit helps us to discern what's good, friends. When we look at things, when we look at the things we do, we need to think, is this good for all? Or is this just good for me? Or just good for a few. What would it look like if we really lean into and discern God's wisdom in the life of the church? What would you think about that? What would it look like if we really leaned into God's wisdom? God's wisdom. What would that look like? What would it look like to always begin by remembering God's presence in these activities? Think about the greater good, creating something beneficial for everyone, versus the common good, just keeping the peace. I want us to think back to society in June of 2020 where some people were calling for the good for everybody, the greater good, to end racism, to end racial targeting, to end brutality against black people. And others were crying now's not the time go home keep the peace justice has been served in this one case don't protest over there friends we have to think about the intention behind every action Oftentimes, decisions aren't between what's good and not good, but what's good and what's greater. In that sense, both options are good, but the greater good really comes out of a kingdom mentality versus just trying to maintain the status quo. I'm not saying that keeping the peace is wrong, and people calling for it are doing so because nobody likes conflict. (laughs) Keeping the peace is good, if you're keeping the peace justly. But if keeping the peace means silencing people who are hurting so that we don't have to be um, uncomfortable over here, that's not peace. That's oppression. The greater good really comes out of a kingdom mentality versus just trying to maintain the status quo. Let us always seek being kingdom people rather than people of this world. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, I just thank you for this challenging and encouraging message, Lord. We have uh, great disciples who are listening to this right now who are who are internalizing what James has to say to us and what you have to say to us through James. And so we just thank you, Lord, for challenging us to grow in our faithfulness and to grow to be a people who do the greater good as opposed to just the common good. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, as always, it's awesome to have you here uh, listening and tuning into this podcast. I enjoy bringing it to you every week. I enjoy uh, this 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 whole medium of being able to bring uh the message of of jesus the message of hope healing and wholeness out to the world and thank god for for the ability to do that and thank you for tuning in Uh, check out the episode notes uh also if this is your main spiritual feeding for the week and you would you have the means and would like to support uh, our ministry that would be great Uh, Life Giving Water Messages is a free ministry offered by me but my church uh, you know could always use the support and if you're willing to support us that would be great if this is supplemental and you uh, attend a different church by all means support your faith community Uh, and if you would like to support both of us none of us would argue that so uh, thank you for your generosity on either end of that Uh, with that said remember you are are richly blessed so that you may be a blessing to others go in peace